So the text upon which the aforementioned Nick will be expounding is written in the 20th chapter of the Gospel according to John. Thomas, called the twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples were telling him, we've seen the Lord. But he said to them, yeah, exactly. But he said to them, if I don't see the mark of the nails in his hands, and put my finger into the mark of the nails, and put my hand into his side, I will never believe. A week later, his disciples were indoors again, and Thomas uh, was with them. Even though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. And then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. Look at my hands. Reach out your hands. Put it into my side. Don't be faithless, but believe. And Thomas responded to him, My Lord and my God. And Jesus said, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord stands forever. Well, good morning. Uh, we are um, in our sermon series we started last week. Uh, and since we're in the Easter season, we're doing post-resurrection appearances of Jesus, which have always been fascinating stories to me because in my mind, uh, we just... I think of Jesus in the Gospels, I just think of human Jesus teaching the Sermon on the Mount or feeding the 5,000, um, which is a lot more than 5,000, by the way. That was just the men there, so a lot more people. Um, anyways, but, and, but we have all these rich, rich stories of Jesus after he's resurrected coming and still teaching his disciples. Um, and, and so that's what we're going to be walking through, and, and that's what we have here today. Um, my... Uh, you can see my really creative sermon title, Jesus and Thomas. We're going to talk about Thomas. Uh, we're going to talk about uh, this passage here. But before we get started, I heard a quote on, it was, and Kenan was in the room as well. We had a meeting on campus, and uh, the, one of the, the, the individuals that mentors this group of people said, and, and hopefully this will frame uh, where we're going and frame uh, how we think about Thomas, but just loved this, and but hopefully it will stick with me for a long time. He said, as he was praying for us, um, hope is the ability to hear the music of the future, and faith is having the courage to dance to it today. Um, so just love that quote. Brings tears to my eyes even thinking about it. Um, yeah, hope is the ability to hear the music of the future, and faith is having the courage to dance to it today. Um, when I was a kid, we grew up hunting. We lived in rural Arkansas. My dad is like comes from hillbilly people in the western hills of, of Arkansas. And so hunting was and still is a very big part of our lives. Um, I have tattooed here a duck on my arm because I love ducks and I love duck hunting that much. I just thought it was cool to get a duck on my arm. But all that to say, uh, yeah, hunting was such a big part of our lives, and um, it taught us so much, and uh, it was something we took very seriously as a family. And I remember uh, in the state of Arkansas, whenever you turn uh, 
you can you can hunt by yourself or back then you can hunt by yourself i think legally at the age of nine and it was a big deal we had grown up with guns we'd grown up with gun safety and and um knew how to use them and so it was a big rite of passage for us to be able to sit in a deer stand all on your own it was like a, a coming of age kind of moment for you to be able to go off without your dad's supervision um and I remember I was around the age of nine or 10, the first time that uh, my dad let me sit in the deer stand all on my own. Um, man, it was such an incredible experience. Like you'd been looking up to it or looking up to this kind of point, you know, it had happened with my sisters before me and it eventually would happen to my younger brother. Uh, but I remember him telling me it was an, it was an afternoon hunt. We had, I had, he checked me out of school early for the morning. So uh, whenever you deer hunt, you are in the evenings, you go until dark. That's the end of shooting light, whenever you cannot see anymore. Um, so my dad had been talking to me about, you know, we reviewed gun safety. I showed him, demonstrated how to, how to do all the things, um, and so that he would put his faith in me that, that I could do it. And he told me, he was like, now it's going to get dark, but... Remember, I know exactly where you are. My stand is just right there. You can't, it was just around the corner. It was probably, you know, 400 yards away from us, uh, from where I was sitting. He's like, I will come get you. Do not leave your stand. I will come get you. It's going to get dark. Don't worry. So I was like, all right, yeah, great, great, great. I was so excited to be on my own. And then finally I was, and it was an uneventful deer hunt, and it had started to grow um, darker and darker. And again, I was about the age of Michael, uh, at this point. And my dad had told me, don't leave the stand, even though it's going to get dark. But as it got dark, I got increasingly more fearful. I had every reason to trust my dad, to believe that he was going to come and get me, uh, in the dark, that I could just stay right there. But overcome with fear, I didn't know I could hear, you know, animals out in the woods calling. I mean, it was like terrifying for me. I just couldn't do that. I knew where my dad's stand was and, and I couldn't stay there any longer. And I just had to get down and I had to run to where I thought he was. And as I was running there, he'd actually gone a different route. And so I am off in the woods screaming at this point for my dad, 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 where are you? And finally not, but just a, a minute or two later, we connected with one another, and he told me, I told you not to leave the stand that I was coming to get you. You see, do you ever find yourself having doubts like that? Do you ever know when an individual is giving, is trustworthy and giving you their word that they're going to follow through? But somehow, even though you know that they're trustworthy, you can be overcome by doubt. I knew that my dad was going to come get me, but for whatever reason in that moment, I just didn't believe it. I had to go do something on my own. I had to go prove to myself that my dad was around the corner. You see, that is where we all are, and that's where we meet Thomas today uh, in this story. Do you ever find yourself having doubts? about Jesus, who we claim is trustworthy, about the church that we claim is a trustworthy institution, about your faith. Faith and trust are the same thing. Do we have doubts about what we deem faithful? What are some specific personal doubts, and how have you struggled with doubt? 
Feel free to answer. It could be anything. Is there anything you doubt? You just have a hard time with. I have lots. My dad come and get me on a deer stand. Sometimes I doubt the goodness of God even. When, you know, there's so much in the world going going on around us. I would reckon, probably, we'll do a show of hands. How many of you doubt? Me. Yeah. So, okay, we're, we're connecting. We all doubt. It can be hard to name some of those things on the fly, but we all do. And the truth is, we can all find ourselves in the story of Thomas. We all doubt to very varying degrees. But here's what's beautiful, and here's something something that hopefully we can come to know today, is that Jesus meets us in our doubting. We don't have to get off the deer stand and go run. Jesus meets us there. We'll see. Let's look back at our text, specifically verses 24 and 25. But Thomas called twin. One of the twelve was not with them when Jesus came. So the disciples were telling him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, If I do not see the mark of the nails in his hands and put my finger into the marks of the nails and put my hands on his side, I will never believe. You see, Thomas wasn't there when the disciples, with the disciples, when Jesus came back. He didn't see him. He wasn't a part of it. He wasn't an eyewitness. There was this degree of separation, perhaps, between Thomas and Jesus. He, he, he didn't see it. Or at least he perceived there was a, this separation. Well, here's the deal with us in the resurrection. Thomas is only a, a group of friends away from the resurrection. We ourselves are 2,000 degrees of separation between Jesus and his resurrection. So we, Thomas was very close. We are even much further away. So Thomas responds, not seeing. He says, I will never believe. I don't like to bring up Greek words a lot, but this is, um, uh, it's a double negative, basically. He says, I will not not believe. It's one of the strongest ways to negate something in Greek. It's just like it, the, the author wants you to have zero doubt that Thomas was doubting. He, he never was going to believe. He's like, I'm, it's not going to happen for me unless this happens. You, know, you get this sense with such a strong statement that the, perhaps there's something going on underneath the surface with Thomas. You know, it's not like perhaps Thomas was feeling capricious or stubborn. I think about my younger brother and, and myself when we would be obstinate to one another. We'd be like, well, no, I'm just not doing that. Just out of spite one another. You don't feel that Thomas is quite that way, that he's capricious. And he's just going to do it for his own sake, just because he wants to, perhaps like me or my brother, in argument with one another. You get the sense that something perhaps is going on deeper. I think perhaps, at least one facet of this, there's many facets of doubt, but it, you, I get the sense that Thomas wants control of the situation. You have to understand that Jesus was one of Thomas's best friends. The person that he loved and looked up to most in life had just died. Thomas is grieving. And when you're grieving and someone comes in your life and they're like, we saw the Lord, they're so happy. When someone meets you with that happiness, when you're in that place of grief, you don't want to receive that. You don't want that. You want people to sit in your grief. So 
it seems that Thomas wants control. He's grieving. He doesn't like that everyone's so optimistic around him. I think, at least in part, Thomas doubts because he wants control of the situation. When nothing around him seems to make sense at all. This, this man who told us he was going to be with us forever, even into the end of the age, he's gone. He's dead. He's been crucified. So when nothing seems to make sense around him, Thomas is decided that at least one thing will make sense, and that is that Jesus is dead and he's not coming back. And you can see that, that he's made his mind up on this with this impossible condition Not unless I see the nail marks in his hands or touch his side will I ever believe. For Thomas, that's an impossibility. And so, to me, I see some sense of control. But I think also we find ourselves in similar positions as Thomas. When we hear the good news, we don't want to accept it because it's contrary to everything around us. How could God possibly be good when my marriage is falling apart? when I have lawsuits set against me, when kids are slaughtered at schools, when I can't find anything worthwhile to do in this life and everything appears meaningless, and perhaps even my own self included, how is God good? How can you say that? See, we don't want to receive that when it doesn't align with how we perceive the world. How could Jesus have resurrected and defeated the power of death when there's so much evil and death all around me every single day, how can you say something like that? What is our response? If we're anything like Thomas, and I bet we are, we might cloister ourselves off from any degree of hope. We don't want to have hope. We want to know for a fact that Jesus is dead because we know what is true. We cling to doubt, I think, because sometimes it feels like the only thing we can have control over is that we can doubt. It feels like the only agency we have when our own agency, we think, has been stripped away from us. And we take comfort in knowing without a doubt that we will never have comfort. And I think that's what Thomas is kind of clinging to. But praise God that the story does not stop there. Amen? Let's let's keep reading. Verse 26 through 28, we review. A week later, his disciples were indoors again, and Thomas was with them. So you see that he's with the disciples when before he was not. Even though the doors were locked, Jesus came in and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and look at my hands. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Don't be faithless, but believe. And Thomas responded to him, my Lord and my God. You see, Jesus does not abandon us when we doubt. Jesus meets us in our doubt. Jesus doesn't abandon Thomas. He moves toward him. He comes to him. Jesus seeks him out. He asks Thomas. He says says to Thomas, come here. Be near me. Touch the nail marks. Touch my side. See that it is me. You see, when Thomas needed something tangible, when he felt he needed that, when he needed to touch something, Jesus invites him close. 
He gives him exactly what he needs. Come be near me. Touch my wounds. Wounds. It's me. I'm right here. I never left you. See, Jesus, has meet, Jesus meets Thomas' needs. He meets him right exactly where he is at. And he provides exactly what he needs for faith. You know, I think sometimes that we can try to shell ourselves off in doubt. In perhaps a cave, I like to imagine, of doubt or disbelief. And we finally think, thank God Jesus will leave me alone if I just stay in here. But in reality, he does the opposite. He follows us into that cave, and he never leaves our side despite our best efforts. That is the God that we have. When we doubt, he meets us in our doubt. He doesn't rebuke, or he doesn't rebuke Thomas. You see, the perfect Christian is not someone who never doubts, who is just like, willy-nilly, I'll go run and jump off a bridge just because I perceive Jesus told me to. No, that's not the perfect Christian. But at the same time, also, the perfect Christian is not one who's perhaps a thoroughgoing skeptic who doubts everything all the time at every moment. The truth is somewhere in the middle. In reality, there is no such thing as a perfect Christian, whatever we may think that that may be. See, we all, every single one of us, we all raise our hands, right? I saw that. We all doubt in varying degrees. And we do so maybe in periods in our life um, more intensely than in others. Sometimes things are going great. Your life is falling into place exactly as you would want it to be. It's like, oh, it's great. God's great at that point. But God's also the same God whenever life is absolutely falling apart and we find ourselves in the belly of the beast like we talked about several weeks ago with Jonah. You see, we doubt God. We doubt ourselves. We doubt others all around us. We doubt everything. And yet, doubt in and of itself is not a bad thing. It's a normal human experience. It's normal. It's good to doubt. If we didn't doubt stuff, we would just like, you know, go pick up like, oh, this mushroom looks really tasty. I'm going to eat that. And then we'd all be dead because we're just picking up, you know, random poisonous mushrooms. You know, it's like at some level you have to doubt something in order to, I don't know, navigate the world around you. You see, it's okay to doubt. We see that. Jesus meets us there. Uh, in a class I had earlier this week, we were talking about, it's in a class on the historical Jesus. And so the, the whole pursuit of the class is just in a scholarly up in the clouds type of ivory tower way. What can we really know about Jesus that actually happened in history to our best extent? And that's the, the premise of the class, and it's a wonderful class. Um, but uh, Dr. Blomberg, my professor, said... Um, and talking uh, in, in the lecture, he said that he has heard Christian apologists say to his face, I can be 100% sure of the truth of Christianity. Blomberg pauses. And he says, I don't know of anyone who is finite or fallen, and particularly if you're both, that could ever make such a statement. See, the reality is we can never be 100% sure. 
but we can adequately know loads. God meets us. Jesus meets us exactly where we need, gives us exactly what we need for faith. But at some point, there is a step for faith. All I'm saying is that Jesus doesn't ask us not to doubt. Doubt is normal. Doubt is going to come to us. He doesn't ask us not to doubt. Jesus meets us there. That's what he does with Thomas. You know, at some level, our identity, our ultimate identity, we're people of Israel. And Israel, his name before, was Jacob. But the reason he got the name Israel is because he wrestled with God. He strove, he strived with God. And that is our identity. Our identity isn't just to blindly accept all of these, you know, whatever it may be. No, we are those who wrestle with God. That is fundamentally who we are. And that is our relationship. And we are in relationship with a God who meets us in our needs, even in our doubts. You see, um, this sweet little man, I want to get teary out. I'll get through it. This is just like dad emotion coming right now. Um, <laughs> yes. Yeah. 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 That's good. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, this this little man here, his middle name, his, his full name is Theodore Thomas Quinn. Uh, and we named him Thomas because of... Uh, because of this passage of scripture right here. And it's because God doesn't ask us. We don't want our son to be someone who just blindly, you know, accepts whatever anybody is selling to him. We want him to know that it's okay to doubt, that it's okay to wrestle with God, and that's who we are. And Jesus doesn't rebuke us for that. He meets us there. You see, I love this story, this passage, especially when you compare it um, to contrast the story with Jesus and Peter. Uh, it's in Matthew 16, but it's a famous passage where, where Jesus is telling everybody, he's kind of revealing his messianic identity. And they think it's some, Israel, or perhaps at least Peter, thought that was something along the lines of, of conquering Rome physically, instating the everlasting kingdom of Israel here on this earth. But Jesus was telling them that it was necessary for him to go and die. And Jesus, or Peter responds to this, just dumbfounded. No, Lord, you cannot do such a thing. How could you go die? You're here to conquer. And Jesus responds to Peter, and he says, get behind me, Satan. And so I love this text, and I love the name Thomas, because Peter thinks he knows who Jesus is. He's trying to mold Jesus into his own agenda, what he thinks that is good. And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. Thomas, he doubts. But Jesus doesn't rebuke Thomas for doubting. He doesn't say, get behind me, Satan. No, he draws near to Thomas. He says, come, touch my hands and touch my side. I am here. I am near you. I have never left you. And that's the kind of 
that's the kind of man we want to raise. That's why I love this text so much. You know, and, and we can also think that doubting perhaps disqualifies us from stuff. Again, maybe we have this conception of what a perfect Christian is, someone who never doubts. They've just got everything. You know, they know the Bible like the back of their hand. They know all the right answers. They never doubt. They never struggle with anything. And so when we doubt, we feel like it disqualifies us from doing great things at all. You see, even in our Christian culture, we I, I have heard at least People say, well, don't be a doubting Thomas. That person's a doubting Thomas. And so we kind of like demonize Thomas for his doubt. But we see that Jesus doesn't do that. But also doubt does not disqualify us from doing great things in the kingdom. In fact, this could not be further from the truth. You see, we see Thomas here and we see him in a couple other places. Um, And we don't really know necessarily in Scripture what happens to Thomas. But church tradition tells us that Thomas eventually boarded a ship that landed in southern India. And there he took Christianity to that, the subcontinent of what we now call India. And to this day, 2,000 years later, there is a robust, extensive community of people known as the St. Thomas Christians in India. One of my good friends, his name is Alex. Um, We started seminary together, a great friend of mine. He's a first-generation Indian-American. What do y'all think his last name is? It's Thomas, Alex Thomas, a first-generation Indian immigrant. His parents immigrated to America. And so he is a living representation of how God meets us in our doubt doesn't disqualify us. It actually brings us closer to God. And perhaps through the process of doubt, through the process of belief, through the process of turning our doubt into hope, hearing the music of the future, maybe we can have faith and dance to it today. Thomas surely did that. He was a great man who accomplished great things in the kingdom. And I know that's the heart of Jesus for each and every one of us. He wants us to wrestle with him. And he wants us to come out the other side, touching his nail-marked hands and touching his side and knowing that he is near us. That is who our Jesus is. Let's pray together. Lord, God, we thank you that you never abandon us you never leave us. God, that when the world seems overwhelming, it seems like we can't do anything. It seems like you're very far away. Maybe we think to ourselves, God, did you ever leave that grave? But everybody says you did? I don't know. God, that you meet us right there. You give us exactly what we need for life, for faith, for trust in you, Lord. It may not seem like it at the time, but God, we'll look back on our lives and see your hands all over it, God. God, I pray that you give us the hope. You give us that ability to hear the music of the future and what a glorious melody it is. God, please give us the faith to dance to it today.
I pray this, pray all of these things in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.